Um, and my church is Pilgrim Church. We're in South Vancouver. Um, and so my uh, associate pastor of, he's like two and a half months in, is preaching his second time this morning without, without me there cheering him on. So I'm like, it'll be good. It'll be fine, Josh. It'll be fine. So uh, he's just graduated from seminary. And so we're really excited about that at Pilgrim. Um, before I get into the teaching today, there's just a, a, a note I want to say. So, uh, John, I met John through the Jesus Collective, and you're part of the Mennonite Brethren and Jesus Collective, uh, with some networks that your church participates in. And um, when I found out that he's a pastor in Vancouver, there's a couple of people with Jesus Collective in Vancouver and churches uh, that are checking it out or affiliated and so forth. I was like, John, you have to preach at my church. And so uh, eventually he, I got him scheduled one Sunday. He was able to come and break away from you guys, uh, and we were grateful for that. And um, I'm getting to know John at this point. And now I know him for, what, two years, three years, something like that. And this brother, like, roasts me, like, right off the thing. And I'm sitting like, yeah, I'm there, I'm there, man, I'm roasting. And so I'm like, do I, the temptation this morning was high, let me just say. <laughs> but then I realized that he's not here, he's out of town, and it's not fair to roast a guy if he's not actually sitting there taking it right there, you know, in the face, you know. So anyway, I'm just going to let it go. Um, and thank you, Mitch, for that introduction. Uh, I have been in Vancouver for over five years now. Uh, lived in Toronto for a year uh, as well. I'm from the U.S. Uh, in my church, I usually refer to that as that country between the southern border of Canada and the northern border of Mexico that shall not be named in Canada. Um, so I, I've learned that over the years. But I am a dual citizen as well. I became a Canadian citizen this past year with my family. So um, I'm married, have three children, two still at home. The youngest is 17 in uh, grade 12 at uh, VCS and uh, trying to figure out what he's doing next. And then my daughter and my oldest lives in Kansas City. So... That's just a quick overview of some of who I am. But today I want to uh, share with you, and you're kind of in between series as Advent starts next Sunday, I wanted to talk about a Christ the King Sunday. And I don't know how carefully your church follows or uses the Christian year or the church year, but this Sunday in what is called the church calendar is called Christ the King or Reign of Christ Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the Christian calendar. So it is sort of like the uh, New Year's Eve Sunday of the church year. And I don't know like, if you guys are like, my church, we celebrate all kinds of other New Year's throughout the year. So it always seems like the New Year's coming up uh, all the time in our calendar. But we've talked about the church year as being a formative practice, something that can shape us. Because there's so many other calendars in our life that are pulling on our identities, Right? There's your work calendar, there's your family calendar, there's our, our cultures of origins, different calendars as well. There is the Gregorian calendar, which is very dominant uh, globally, you know, and there's all of these things that want to call on us and, and shape us and form us. But some of us in evangelical land have been rediscovering the riches of the church calendar beyond just Christmas and Easter. Now, most of you are church calendar people if you know what Christmas and Easter are, but there's so much more around the life of Christ and that shaping, forming thing. So today is Christ the King Sunday. Um, John was very gracious to say, talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'm like, are you sure about that? <laughs> so, uh, but then as I was wrestling and, and thinking through, I thought this would be a good one. And the text this morning that I want to read to you is from Colossians. And I'm going to read that in just a moment here. But Chris Gertz, who is a pietist scholar, uh, works at Bethel Seminary in the Twin Cities in the States in Minnesota. And he shares the story of how Christ the King became a fixed date on the calendar. It's one of the most recent things within the Christian larger church world. And it was during the close or the end of World War I 
the Catholic Pope at the time, Pope Pius uh, XI, in 1922, writing, he said this, since the close of the Great War, the World War I, individuals, the different classes of society, the nations of the earth, have not as yet found true peace. Four years after the end of a conflict, Gertz writes, four years after the end of the conflict, as many as 15 million people, humanity still did not, quote, enjoy that active and fruitful tranquility, which is the aspiration and the needs of humankind. And so, Pius decides that there's been different celebrations, of course, about Christ being a king. It's a very biblical concept of Jesus, ruler over all, a sovereign of all creation, all this kind of thing, but put it in the calendar. So, so it becomes a date, and then Protestants uh, in many churches adopt this. But his hope was that it would remind Christians around the globe of this idea about our true peace can be found in Christ, and that if we are going to treat each other differently, I love how uh, I forget... Sharon, I can't remember who said, talked about the new humanity or the new human. And leaning into this, Christ the King Sunday is one of these days where we see that if we set our first identity in God's love, that it can transform then all of our other identities, which are important. But this love base, this rootedness in who he is can bring about the tools we need and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work as people of God's kingdom peace. And if you're willing, say amen. So this morning, let's read, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and um, this is one of the texts for Christ the King Sunday from, I don't know, with the church calendar, each Sunday has assigned four readings, but this is one of them for this Sunday. And at Pilgrim, we are Baptists, we are North American Baptist and affiliated with Jesus Collective, so we don't slavishly follow the calendar, but we do certainly use it as a tool, a teaching tool as well. Um, I don't know what your practice is. Do you guys stand when people read scripture or just the gospels? You want to stand with me if you're willing to? I mean, I, if, you, if you want to play, if you don't want to play, that's fine. Okay. All right. I got saved in a Pentecostal church, by the way, and, uh, and have Mennonite family on one side of my family. So I am definitely a church mutt. Um, but uh, so I'm going to read here. We're going to look at Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. And I'm reading from the New English translation, the second edition. And it says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. And he continues on, he is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. We're almost to the end, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Would you, would you pray with me just for a moment? Holy Spirit, you know that I cannot change anyone's hearts or minds. Mitch and John are A-plus level communicators. I'm a C-plus on a good day. But Lord, we know that each one of us, empowered by your spirit, wrestling with the scriptures in present time and context, that you can do things in our lives. And we did not come here today simply to tick off a box. 
We came here today to be formed, to be counterformed to all the narratives that have been claiming us this week. To remember that in the gathering of God's people, the curious, the captivated, those moving towards, those moving away from Jesus, that you, Holy Spirit, you promised to do something unique in this time. This is a, a liminal space, a threshold space. So we enter into that today. Do your work through the foolishness of preaching, I pray, and the worship and the ministry and all of the teams that are pouring their love into this day and this time together. We want to receive from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um. So Christ the King Sunday, the end of the church year, and next Sunday is the beginning of the church year. Some things I just want to pull out by way of application, and then I'm going to just walk through the text. Uh, and uh, in my church, I do two kinds of series, verse by verse and topical. So we rotate between the two. I've learned in my church context, some people really love the topical stuff and the narratives woven within that. Other people die a thousand deaths. Other people love going through verse by verse and geek out a little bit. I want to hear that. I want to be challenged. Da, da, da. Uh, and then other people are dying a thousand deaths. So I don't know where you're at on that spectrum today, but hopefully you'll get something out of some, something that we're going to talk about here uh, regarding Christ the King Sunday. I want to remind you of a few things here just right up front and then I will at the end as well. This piece of scripture, this passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, is believed to have its origins in an early hymn of the church. And so in your Bible, hopefully in English translations, it shows, it sets it apart as a different kind of, um, uh, how it's not typeset, but how it's indented, it's paragraphs to indicate there's something of a prose here, there's something artistic about what's going on here in the writing that Paul is pulling on. So there's this idea that it is one of the first hymns or poems in the New Testament. And the artist that Paul is pulling from, whoever wrote this, Paul is probably relaying something that's already in the tradition of the church at this point. This use of words is to invite us into this experience of truth, not simply truthful statements, not simply proposition, but he's using prose and artistry in this ancient text that we have relayed to us in the letter to uh, the Colossians. So I want to point that out as well. The second thing I want to say as we look through this passage again, and John said, what, I got an hour, hour and a half? You get, he's like a long preacher, right? Okay, all right. Um, like I said, I got saved in Pentecostal church. Our church services and the church I grew up in were like two and a half hours long. Jesus help us. Oh my goodness. But yeah, we had a big worship set up front and then a whole sermon for the offering, toxic and manipulative. Uh, and then the very, very nice how you guys are talking about giving today. That was like, that was very kingdom, not what I grew up in. And, uh, um, and then, and then the, the pastor would preach 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes. And then we'd have a ministry time and another worship set. You know, but that was safe. You could escape during that time if you wanted to. But you know, if you were truly holy, you stayed through all of that. So, all right, um, creation care. That's the other thing I want to talk about here by way of application in Colossians. Um, remember the creativity in this text. There's creation care as pointed out in this text. We hear this idea of being called to be healers of humanity and matter. And to follow Jesus is to be most in sync with caring about the matter around us, the stewardship of creation. I think the other few things to remind as we back through the text is that there's a spiritual warfare at play in the New Testament worldview. I don't know how many of you listen to Dr. Michael Heiser's podcast, um, uh, the Naked Bible, but he talks a lot about this spiritual view of the spirit and matter enmesh, that you are more than material, you are also spirit. And this comes out in this passage as well in Colossians, that there are powers working against the goodness. Also, finally, I think the last thing to emphasize on when we see this text is that Jesus 
is the clearest picture of God. And I think this is what draws some of us into groups like Jesus Collective, is this re-emphasis that Jesus is that clear picture we get, that all other images of God that we see in the Bible, we see in our own experience, ultimately we submit them to what we see in the Gospels, what we see portrayed about who this, this fully human, fully divine person we lean into by faith, Jesus is. And so this is one of those passages that speaks powerfully to a Jesus-centric way of being a, a Christian. And in fact, I would go so far to say as if it doesn't walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, smell like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, self-sacrificial love, it is not ultimately Christian. It is some idolatrous offshoot that may be using Jesus-y language, but if it's not um, defined by who he is and what we see, we need to be very cautious about that. Or as Paul said to the Galatians, if anyone comes preaching any other gospel, because there's all, everybody's using the word gospel, but if it's anything other than as he defines and leans into Jesus and what he learned from the apostles, he said, let them be accursed. That's pretty strong language. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So let's look at this text a little more this morning, going a little deeper. Um, there is an outline of the text that we can throw on the screen. Uh, outline? I think we, we can talk about that. Okay, yeah, outline. So this is roughly one way to break this down. I think this was from Baker Exegetical, although I can't remember much commentary sources. But um, So we're just going to walk through this stair-step wise, and then we'll land it again with some applications and takeouts today as well. I think that might be helpful. Um, one of the wonderful things I love, Nijay Gupta, a New Testament scholar, relating about this hymn, calls it the hymn about the key word is all. Sorry, not used to lapel mic, so if I'm batting the thing there, my apologies. Um, and I got the extra jacket on. Like the freezing cold, like man, that's, uh, I feel like, I feel like I'm gonna have a coffee conversation with John after this about the freezing, so, okay, all right. Uh, all right, he arranged this, I know it, uh, okay. Uh, just kidding, I'm sure. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about this, the allness for a second. Nigel Gupta speaks about this. Um, this emphasis on uh, everything, pas, it's used 10 times in this passage. Uh, in verse 11, it's used twice as Paul prays again that they would be able to endure all things with all the strength that comes from Christ. And so this emphasis on the allness of Jesus just comes through just like a drumbeat through this whole passage. Um, the repeat, repeated use of it, uh, again, also works well in terms of think of our hymns. And sometimes people say, oh, contemporary worship, there's so much repetition. Well, if you see it as a meditative thing that's calling you into a different kind of state, to let down your guard, to maybe encounter the living play of the Holy Spirit in community, um, it becomes powerful and formative. Well, we see this in this hymn. There's a repetition again and again and again of a word that in and of itself is meaningless without context. All, 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 pas, 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 you know, going through this text. But when it's linked in with what he's talking about, the, the main subject, who Jesus is, it becomes powerful, this allness of Christ. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that, and Christ the King Sunday certainly is one of those Sundays, that God is at work in the world, that there's different power, there's a different way of being human, there's a different way of relating. And while we are constantly pulled by all of these things that want to tell us totalizing, to use Walter Brueggemann claim, totalizing claims of the empire, of being consumers, of being a citizens of Canada, or citizens of this or that place, or, or different identities. In this, we are reminded that in Christ, we are called into a different kind of totalizing a power that one day will come fully and is at work right now by the Spirit in messy, decentered local communities, these little churches, these little polis, these little uh, assemblies of the Spirit of God at work in the world. So I just want to say a few things here, and then we'll, with the text in particular, verse 15, verse 15, 
We have these two titles for Jesus, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. The specific relationship between God, the Father, and creation in terms of lordship is being defined here. And we are reminded as well in God entering humanity that humans, we, again, are made in the image of God. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, you are a bearer of God's image. That's a lot of words, but say it. You are a bearer of God's image. Come on, look at, look at your neighbor. You are a bearer of God's image. You are a bearer of God's image. You are an icon. You are a living icon. Elsewhere, Paul says that we are together and as individuals in some way, we are the living temple of the Spirit of God. And Jesus is coming to remind us and restore us in that bearage, that bearing the image of God that we see in this sub-ruling vice-regency given in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. He created them. And sometimes I, I think coming to church, one of the things we maybe should remind each other every time is that you are sitting next to, I think C.S. Lewis said, if you saw this person in the full view of how God sees them, you would it'd be a being that would strike you with both wonder and awe and terror. That's who you're sitting next to this morning. Now, if you're married, you may be able to understand. Oh, I'm just kidding. Okay, no, no, the terror. No, goodness, goodness. And, but we're called into this, this, this sense of who we are. In Jesus, in verse in Hebrews, rather, Hebrews chapter 3, it reminds us that he is the exact representation. So this Jesus-centric way of approaching Christianity is emphasized again and again and again in the Bible itself, in the New Testament. God is visible in Jesus. And of course, it's not a complete revelation until he comes again, and we see him in that sense of that cosmic reigning. But he's already reigning, and he's working through you and I to bring about the shalom, the wholeness the desire that God has for creation. The firstborn of all is about status. He was the template. We are told here that Christ, the pre-incarnate, the pre-Christmas, the pre-put-on-flesh Jesus was the template for Adam and Eve in creation story as well. So let's move on a little bit farther here. Verse 16 again. When we look at the passage, for all things in heaven on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Because of him, all things were created. Creation is made in Christ. We are told that this all things, the location of heaven and earth, that in him these things are made visible and known. Rulers and authorities, in this case, are probably likely their earthly visible servants of various powers. So here we have a cosmology being unraveled uh, for us as well, right? So there is a creation that's not just material, but also spiritual powers. And that in Christ, as part of the Trinity, they are, being, they are created for, through, and in him. He is the source of life of all that is outside of God's self. I'll simplify this one step here. This idea here is that in the act of creation, God self-differentiates God's self from everything else. And this is an important concept within Christianity, right? That, that that which exists is outside, that God in some way, God self-limits God's power in order for things to exist. And he's doing that through uh, the work of, of Christ, is what Paul's telling us in Colossians. Um, and there's more that we could say about this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause that because I'll get too deep down the rabbit hole with that. But verse 16 again, this in Christ, things are created and here he is engaging with creation through Christ and sustaining as well. 
Uh, verse 17 is sort of this restatement. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So it's poetry again. He's re- restating the thing that he already said. Recapitulation. Uh, before all things, and in him all things hold together. So while God's self creates outside of God's self, God is also engaged as an actor in that creation, separate and yet engaged in it. And so we see this in this text, laying this out again, when we get to the, some of these teachings about uh, basic teachings about Christianity and how the creation is held together. Before all things, above all things, before and above these words that the Son, Scott McKnight puts it this way, the Son, Jesus, is superior in temporal priority as the pre-existent one, Jesus was before, and he is hierarchically superior in ontology, and so he is also above. He is engaged in creation, and yet he is also God, and in him it is held together. So this sustaining spirit behind all of these things that God creates outside of God's self is also sustained by God's spirit interacting with the creation that God creates. And I know I'm geeking out a little bit. I will bring it back down to earth here in just a second. But this is, this is something we see in this text. Powerful stuff about how God is engaged in this creation, loves this creation, creates this creation, gives this creation freedom, but does not abandon it. And much evil in the world is when we choose to not listen to those calls to be centered in love and who he is. God still gives us freedom to co-create goodness and create things that are destructive as well. And so we see this theology of evil also we can, we can sort of um, see coming out of this text as well. All right, to the very end here. Supreme in redemption, the new creation, verses 18, whoo, verses 18 to the end here. He is the head of the body, the church. Uh, and so here we have this word head. And I would like to say this use of the word head, authority over or source of, is a debate. Is it mean authority over or source of? And people like Scott and Nike would argue that depending on context, we're seeing a bit of both here. Now, I could really go off on this one because this word has been misused to subjugate uh, women in the church. This, this how do we translate this word and how do we understand context in other of Paul's writings. But in here, it refers to the to use a quote from McKnight, it refers to the organic, unifying, and mutually supporting roles of believers with one another as they exercise their fruit and gifts of the Spirit so they can grow into one body in Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. When it talks about Christ being the head of the body of the church, the local assemblies, and all of the church together, it says this, it refers to the organic, unifying, and mutually supporting roles of believers with one another as they exercise their fruit and gifts of the Spirit, so they can grow into one body in Christ. And so unity emerges as we center on Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit with the giftedness of each, one, each, each, each other in the body, the members working together, as Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that we are members of the body, and the body, Jesus, is the head of the body. And so this language, again, in this hymn, Paul is not... Uh, not creating this out of thin air, he is learning this from what is the immediate witnesses and those that have begun launch the church. And he is sharing this in this context through this hymn uh, to the Colossians. The local church is the particularization of the universal church. There is no universal church without this. This and all of the other churches that are gathered and scattered throughout the week together make up the universal church. But without this, there is no church universal. This is what sustains the work of the Holy Spirit right now in real time with particular people, particular places, messy as we are, on a journey with Jesus. This is one of the most powerful, by the way, gathering and gathering on the day of the resurrection is one of the most powerful political acts we can do. 
By gathering here today, you are declaring that you are responding to the Spirit of God in some way, maybe curious, maybe captivated, maybe questioning, maybe all three. But in this, you're saying there's another power at work in the world when people center on Jesus, centered on God's love. This power is different than the power in Ottawa or Washington, D.C. or Beijing or uh, in, in Moscow or in Kiev. This is a different kind of power. This is a power that continues generation to generation as we share Christ and lean into this. You are part of a miracle sitting in this house today. And this is something we lean into when we say, Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is. And so on Christ the King Sunday, we remember this and we lean into this. So the beginning of the firstborn, three more descriptions beyond the church now. We see that he's the beginning, the firstborn, and the resurrection so that Christ might have supremacy. Paul is restating Philippians chapter 2 here in another Christ hymn in Philippians 2 uh, verses 6 through 11. And this reference to the resurrection that in Jesus, God putting on flesh and letting us kill him as humanity, but because he is divine love, we cannot, he cannot be held in the grave. He rises again. He points to this power of resurrection. And so again, he's the firstborn of the new creation in that he is risen from the dead and receives this new material spirit body. And we lean into that article by faith on Easter, on Resurrection Day as well. That there is a victory being declared in Christ that death and power over and manipulative power and control and all of that cannot have the final word and does not have the final word. The power of God's self-sacrificial love will overcome all things and a new creation is birthed in the resurrection. And I don't know where you're at with wrestling with the nature of the resurrection, but I lean into that because of what I see in Jesus' life, teachings, and death. And then I can affirm the resurrection as that seems to be the logical conclusion of what happens if love is true and if God is ultimately defined as love, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. That death itself cannot conquer it. I think there's a good Harry Potter illustration in there somewhere, but I didn't write it down, so I'm going to leave it at that. So here we are, towards the passage. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. Jesus is our clearest picture of God. God's fullness is experienced. The Trinity is fully revealed. This God who is three in one and one in three is fully revealed. As much as we're going to get this sight of whatever the new resurrection creation is, is in Jesus. Pleroma, it means the, the fullness, the, the extent that we have. In the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it talks about God's glory filling the temple. The glory is God's extension of himself to fill other spaces that are not God itself. So when we have an encounter with God's glory, an experience, whether we're caught up in play of the spirit of worship, overwhelmed with joy, have a vision of Jesus, we are experiencing this extension of God expressing God's self to us so we can, in some ways, know and experience him personally. In him, the fullness the glory of God was pleased to dwell in the sun. And so here's an interesting thing as we move towards the close today. I, when you say yes to Jesus, when you, when you say, I'm going to give my allegiance to Christ, I'm going to lean into that. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And, and that way of being indwelt by the Spirit of God, you become carrier, carriers of God's glory of the image of Christ because the Spirit makes Jesus real to us until he comes again however this creation wraps up and the new thing and the old thing come together as one, but you become a carrier of God's glory. 
And so when we talk about this idea that in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily, we're saying something about who God is, defined by Jesus, God's self-sacrificial love, his life teachings, death and resurrection, Sermon on the Mount, all of those things. And then when you invite that spirit to dwell within you, you become a carrier of that very power. You become a walking temple. You become an image bearer in, a, in, a, in, a more, in an animated way, shall we say. You're already an image bearer, but now you're an image bearer that's filled with the glory and aware of that and acting out of that. And here, finally, Paul says, after saying, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. And oh, by the way, when you say yes to Christ, the fullness of the Son wants to come and dwell in you and remind you of your templeness and your imageness and now empowered as a temple of God. And he goes and he says this, and through him and through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross And through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, material, spirit, all of it, all that is. And so as an image bearer of Christ, as one who declares their allegiance to Christ as your true king, yes, I'm a citizen of Canada, and yes, I had to swear allegiance to Queen Elizabeth. Thank you, Jesus. I got under the wire before Charles became king. I just thank you, Lord. Okay, all right. if you, if you were born Canadian, you have, may not know that you have to swear a loyalty oath to the, well, now the king, but the queen, but I think I got like a month and a half in before, um, anyway, I don't know if I could have done it, I just, I don't know, I would have choked on saying Charles, but I, I was able to say, you know, the sweet old lady we can deal with, the crown, yay, okay, but, um, all right, I'm still adjusting, fair enough, uh, so, in this, he says, through him, all things reconcile, all things to himself, making peace. So when you become a bearer of the spirit of Jesus, when that's living within you, and now you're participating in this fullness of God by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you also now have that same ministry that Jesus is doing throughout time and space, reconciling, tearing down walls of division, a kingdom that's not bounded by borders or boundaries or bombs or ballots or any of that. You become part of this, this new city of God. You become part of that. And so as the fullness of God is pleased to well in God putting on flesh in Jesus as we celebrate in Advent and Christmas and we anticipate his second coming, in between the times as a bearer of the spirit of God, of the very spirit of Jesus, now you have the ministry of reconciliation of all things on earth and in heaven. And so on Christ the King Sunday, it's one thing to say, okay, I like that idea of a of a ruling universal sovereign who does not lord it over with power over and through crushing and that kind of power, but rather from power from below. But when you say yes to Jesus, that power, that call becomes yours. You, as Paul says elsewhere, become agents of reconciliation. And so how are you engaged by the loving spirit of Christ to tear down walls, to deal with injustice, to work for the goodness of all, for the flourishing of all people, made in the image and likeness of God, even if they don't name Jesus, even if they're far from Christ, they are still everyone, everywhere, made in the image and likeness of God. Through all things to make peace, through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So this Christ the King Sunday, as a guest, as a middling level communicator, I want to point you to Jesus because he is worth the effort and the energy. He is the thing that will sustain when other things crumble and fade away. He will be there to the end. And he has the power to bring new life out of death and darkness. 
Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Canada will pass away. Sorry to say that. The United States will pass away. The paramount leader, she, he will pass away. Trudeau will pass away. Biden will pass away. Rome passed away. The Babylonian Empire passed away. The Persian Empire passed away. Every one of these empires have passed away. But there is one king and reign that will never end. And that is Jesus. As the Nicene Creed says, and towards the end of his kingdom, there will be no end. He shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I want to link my life with that kind of love that cannot die. All right, let me land it. And everyone said amen? Okay, jeez, wow, that was strong. All right, all right. I want to invite you to consider making the church your part of your life. There is actually a lovely um, ministry at UBC, um, and they produce a calendar each year that is, uses the Gregorian calendar, like our normal numbering of things, but does it based on the church seasons. You might want to consider getting that. It's a beautiful thing. I bought one for all the families in our church because it's such a wonderful tool. But I want to remind you of the foundational power of the church year, that it reminds you that there's another thing at work in the world, that God is also working, and he's moving this towards something, new creation, recreation. I want to remind you of that. And we can celebrate all the other calendars as well. I'm not, not saying don't do that, but I'm saying there's a deeper calendar, there's a deeper, ma- uh, C.S. Lewis says, the deeper and older magic, right? That, that there's God at work in this. And I want to just, as we close, say this as well. N.T. Wright has a nice summary. He says, by looking at Jesus, we discover who God is, right? God's selfie, the fullness of God. Remind you of that again this morning. I also want to remind you that Jesus is holding it together. While God creates outside of God's self, God does not abandon creation. He is present in creation, holding it together. In Colossians, there's a high Christology and a high uh, ecology, a theology of creation in this as well. Remember that. Sometimes, well, I got saved in a context where there were certain people that believed that, you know, it was all going to go up in a fiery ball one day. I don't think that's necessarily faithful to what we see in the, the great like, grand narrative of Revelation and Isaiah of the lamb lying down with the lion and, and the idea of the old and the new coming together. So that gives us a call to care for creation, to steward well. Of course, we can debate about how to do that, but let's just leave it at the big picture there and say that is a call as well. And the third, uh, final thing, in addition to these other two and the church here, is Jesus is our blueprint for genuine humanness. And this we see throughout his teachings and the gospels and we see in his life. And so this Christ the King Sunday, I call you once again, would you consider giving your allegiance to Jesus? Putting him at the center. Because of all the identities and all the things, this one is rooted in love and rooted in the humanization and the lifting up of all people as the image bearers of God himself. You might want to just look at your neighbor one more time and tell them that you are in the, made in the image of God. Come on, tell your neighbor, you are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Mitch, I'm going to pray and then invite you up, but can I have everyone stand with me one more time, if you're able to do so? Again, it's a joy to to be here with you today, and I love what I see in the local churches, what God is doing in Vancouver, and then the things we sometimes do together for the greater good, and what you're doing here is so important. 
so much more important than probably we think of. Find ways to serve. Find ways to engage. Find ways to use those gifts that are in your life, both here and in our larger community in Vancouver. New Testament talks about Jesus coming again. I'm still preaching. I know it's Pentecostal in me. I'm sorry. Uh, When he comes again, and the call is that we are engaged in the work of relationship, and that's what he delights in. So let me pray for you, and then Mitch can deliver you from this present darkness. Lord, thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters here today, my kin in Christ. Lord, thank you for the ministry of Pastor John and of Mitch and all the other people that are serving in those so important vital things that make the alternative city of the local church possible. And Lord, I pray that this church is known and marked by Jesus' centricity, that it does understand that indeed Christ is Lord, Caesar is not. And God, when it calls us to be people who are prophetic, people who know how to love in ways that bring about change, may we lean into that and be empowered by your Holy Spirit, for you have promised that your Spirit will indwell and make that fullness of Christ, that glory of Christ known within each one of us. For indeed, I believe it was Irenaeus that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. We hear that today, that in exalting Christ, we are not a debasing of ourselves, but we are made co-reigners with him. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We enter into that pleroma, that fullness, and we are made fully alive. And so, Lord, for the individual today that may be wrestling or struggling, I, I thank you that they're here. I thank you that this is a safer space that they can wrestle. And for the person that is following you, but maybe just came today to to serve others and to love others, may they be reminded as well of their belovedness. For each one is beloved of you. May we lean into that power under as we walk the way of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.